think that we are finished with Ephesians, actually, there's a little bit at the end there. And uh, I just wanted to share on three verses, which is Ephesians 6 from verses 18 to 20. Um, So if you want to go to your Bibles, um, we're going to have a look over there at that section. And uh, last week, uh, Petri taught amazingly on the the chapter of the, the, the the armor of God. Um, so I really encourage you to go and listen to that if you didn't hear that. And uh, uh, Damien has the Xavier thing set up. So if you click on that little Kingfisher sign on the webpage, you can see a video um, of, of the preachers, which is also wonderful to do. But um, So Paul has just taught us in the first part of chapter 6 on how to take our stand against the, the devil's schemes. But now he has something to say about prayer. And so he says after those verses on the, on the um, army, he says, And pray in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication at all times, and to this end keep alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and for me, that when I open my mouth, utterance may be given me to make known boldly the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And it would almost seem not a bad idea if I, if I was writing this book um, of Ephesians on the, on the armor of God. You know, Roman soldiers also carried a spear. So why don't we just call this the spear of prayer? He could have extended this analogy. So we had the breastplate of righteousness, this helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, what about a spear of prayer? That sounds like a, a good idea, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't extend it as part of that analogy. And I think that's because prayer is the thing that holds all those other things together. It's not a separate armor that we put on. It's something that is the basis and the resource of all those things. So in these few verses, Paul kind of gives us some grounding in prayer and just gives us some keys. But before we do that, I thought it would be really great just to look at some of the attitudes that we come into the place of prayer with. And um, all the study that we've done so far in Ephesians, we've looked at this wonderful description of what it means to be in Christ. And that what we have now is because Paul uses in the beginning of verses, chapters 5 and 6, he says, Therefore, in the light of all that God has done, therefore, this is how we should live. And the same is true now as we come and look at this whole thing of prayer. In the light of the gospel, therefore, this is how you should come into the place of prayer. So the way we walk out our Christian lives, um, it's because Jesus satisfied God's wrath. Therefore, we can come with confidence into his presence when we we pray. It's because Jesus took um, took our punishment, therefore, we can stand accepted before God and we can um, not have any condemnation. And it's because Jesus is our advocate and his blood cries out in our defense that therefore we can come to God as our Father and we can have this wonderful intimacy with him. And it's because we are in Christ that therefore one day we, we know that we will have a hope and glory and that he who's begun a good work in each of us, he will bring it to con- completion. So there's this wonderful confidence that we have, the therefores of God. Because what he has done, therefore, this is what we stand in. And so I just wanted to look at a few little things, and just for alliteration's sake, they 
or begin with the C, but maybe that to help us remember them. Um, that, uh, that they are almost attitudes or approaches that we can come to God with in prayer. And the first one I want to say is confidence, that we can come to God with confidence. Because Ephesians 3 verse 12, it speaks about Jesus as the one in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith. You see, when we come to prayer, we don't come in cowering and simpering and going, oh God, do you think you could spare some time for me? There's a, there's a sense that it's a more like a, you're running into your father's presence like children, you know, when the children know you home, they just burst through the door, daddy, mommy, and they run into open arms. It's that confidence, that assurance, that sense of um, affirmation and the affection of a father and a child. That's the confidence we have when we come into the place of prayer. And sometimes we have more of a, a thing of the, of the foreboding of the headmaster's office with a sense of his disapproval behind the door waiting for us. And I, I wonder what he's going to say. But we, instead, it's not that. And sometimes we have to ask God to break down those wrong understandings of him but that we can come with confidence because of what Jesus has done. There's a story of a man who was a very high-powered businessman and he had a, a, a big office with a desk and oak-paneled doors. And one day his little boy came into the office and he said to his little boy, yes, what can I do for you? And the little boy said, nothing, I just wanted to be with you. And so there's a sense like with prayer as well. We come with confidence. We can walk into our Father who owns his cattle on a thousand hills. We can come into his presence. I just want to be with you, Dad. There's just this ease and this confidence in his presence. And the second attitude is the one of no condemnation. We can come into his presence with no condemnation. And if there's one verse that we can hold on to into our hearts, Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And why is that so? Because the law, which judges us and convicts us of being guilty, it's no longer applies to us. Because we are in Christ, when the law comes to accuse us, it hits Christ. And he says, no, I'm sorry, I fulfilled the law, and this person is in me. There's no accusation. There's no condemnation. We are not under the law. We are not under any human traditions. We are not under any human philosophies. We are not under anything that's legalistic because we are in Christ. And the same should apply to prayer. There's no law about prayer. There's no laws that say you have to pray like this. Do we think sometimes in our minds are that God's standing there with a checklist when we come to pray? Right? Good grammar. Check. Um, nice length of prayer. Very spiritual attitude. He doesn't care about those things when we come to the place of prayer. He's just so delighted that we've come. And he's just, he wants to, to have this amazing, affectionate relationship with us. All that delights him, the Bible says, is when we have faith in him. It's that same thing. Because of what he's done, we trust in him. And that brings delight to his heart. He's saying, God, I trust everything that Jesus has done. I rest in the fact that I am accepted by you. And therefore, I can come with no condemnation and trust you as I come in the, into the place of prayer. So we just have these, this first attitude. We come with confidence and we come without any condemnation. Um, I don't know, it, that's, that thing of no condemnation took a long time to drip into my heart. Uh, 
kind of, I've, for most of my Christian life, I've never really understood that. I, I, I labored under a lot of condemnation all the time. And I know it, with the preaching and God's been teaching on this thing of no condemnation, I remember it was when we were in Holland a couple of years ago and Ant was preaching and he just said, and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And it just suddenly, the light went on. Ding! I said, there is no condemnation. It's just like, really? This is too good to be true. I, I stand absolutely right and accepted by God. And sometimes those are things that God wants to help us to come to, to grips with in a way that li- helps us to live in such a liberty and a freedom. <clears throat> and then the third thing is uh, contrite. In Isaiah 57, verse 15 to 16, it says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I made. We know that the word says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so that's one of the most wonderful attitudes that we can come into the place of prayer with is a, is a sense of humility and a dependency on the mercy and the grace of God in our lives. And uh, we remind ourselves that we stand forgiven. Again, that sense of no condemnation. I stand forgiven before the cross and uh, that everything that I need in order to overcome the power of sin in my life, I find in Jesus. I find in the cross. And uh, so there's this place where I can rest before him and I can come with a humility and a dependence. And I, I think sometimes when we are angry or we're frustrated or we're wrestling in prayer, we can come defiant and demanding to God, God, you better do this for me. But I don't think that's a heart-winning attitude. God wants us to come with a humility and a surrendering and a yielding. And it's, it's a trusting that, that in his wisdom, he will bring us into the fullness of all that he has for us. Is a yielding and a contrite spirit. And then I think one of the other attitudes, which is probably the most honest one, is that we do come into the place of prayer full of cares and concerns and confusion and causes, a whole lot of things in our lives that are baggage that we come along to the place of prayer with. And I think that that's exactly how we should come to the place of prayer. We think of that old psalm that says, Fightings and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come. We don't come to the place of prayer with all our ducks in a row. Then we wouldn't need to pray. (laughs) We come with all the things that are weighing us in our hearts. But it's the place where we find mercy and we find help in our time of need. Because you see, God knows the troubles that we carry on our heart. And sometimes you will say, well, why do I need to tell him if he knows what's really worrying me? And I think it's that space where God wants us to come to him and to speak to him and to engage with him and to to build that relationship of intimacy so that he can become our comfort and our peace. He wants to be there to us, but he wants us to come to draw near to God and then he will draw near to you. There's an action required on our part to, to draw near to our Heavenly Father. And uh, in 1 Peter 5, verse 6 to 11, it says, 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, um, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And that, for me, the last while has been such a beautiful, beautiful verse. Cast all your burdens on the Lord because he cares for you. Cast all your burdens. And now, even while I'm sitting, you might be thinking of those things that are weighing on your heart. They might be big things. They might be nagging things in the back of your head. The Lord says, cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. And uh, I'm hoping that after this time of, of preaching, that we all have a time of ministry where you can come and just do that before the Lord. And just say, Lord, I want to hand over these things to you. I want to give to you everything that is weighing me down, because... The Lord says that he cares for us. And it goes on in that verse to say, Be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Isn't it interesting that that weakness comes when we are full of anxiety, when we are, when we are not in a place of yielding to God, that we become vulnerable to his attack. And then it says, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Sometimes when we're going through difficult times, we think, Lord, I'm the only one. I'm the only one with this pain. And he says, your brothers throughout the world are going through suffering. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Wow, what wonderful words. Confirm, strengthen, restore, and establish you. Testing times and suffering times don't go on forever. They feel like they do, but they don't. <laughs> they feel like they're never going to end. But God, God in his grace gives us seasons where he strengthens us and confirms us and, and restores us. So let's cast our burdens on the Lord. Let's, though we come with cares, let's cast them unto him. So those are some of the attitudes that I think are really helpful when we come to the place of prayer. Let's come confidently. Let's come with no condemnation. Let's come with a contrite, humble heart, trusting in the forgiveness we've received. And let's come and cast our, our burdens onto him. But from these, this passage in Ephesians, there are five little keys that I feel are helpful for us to understand prayer. And as I was preparing this, I thought, you know, Lord, this isn't a particularly profound preach. And I thought God say, I don't mean it to be profound. It's supposed to be something that we can just take and say, I, Lord, I can take that and I can hear your spirit speak to me. And, you know, it might just be one little gem that's for you this morning. There might just be one little thing that God's saying that's for you. And just take that. Let the spirit begin to nurture it in your heart and bring liberty into your life. The first thing that we learn from that, those verses is that Paul says, pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. And I love Romans 8, verse 26 to 28, which says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray or what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Isn't that amazing? We... Don't you sometimes feel weak when you come to the place of prayer? You think, oh, I don't know how to do this. The Holy Spirit is praying for us and interceding. And it says in verse 27, And he who searches 
hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then that amazing verse, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And that gives us a little bit of a clue of what the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. That whatever you are facing, whatever situation you are in, he's interceding that it will work out for your good. You are, we are covered when we are in Christ. There is nothing that can come against us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Even God is praying for you right now. There is nothing that you are facing in your life that he is not interceding before the throne of God that will be turned around for your good. There is nothing. Nothing's too big for him. He made everything. <laughs> he is in control. Be encouraged this morning. Be encouraged. So I want to say that this thing of praying in the Spirit um, we don't need lists or formulated prayers in order for us to pray. We, are, we have this wonderful way we can hear the voice of the Spirit and begin to pray back. Although, I mean, sometimes reading a, a written prayer can be very helpful to help us focus, but we don't need that in order to pray. Um, someone once said it's like, I suppose, the difference between getting a ready-made card with the, with the words inside, Happy Birthday, Hope you have a great day that's printed in or you write it in yourself. It's, there's a sense in which God also wants us to come and bring our own little words of, of what's on our own hearts. So prayer is about listening to the Spirit and, and trusting Him as He guides us in prayer. There's this, this, this listening and the speaking, this two-way conversation. And uh, the Holy Spirit is so wonderful because He does begin to give us an understanding of what is on the heart of God. And that's when we begin to pray fruitful prayers. And I think that very simply a very good way to hear what's on the heart of God is to start prayer times reading a piece of scripture because that's on the heart of God. And you say, Lord, won't you speak to me through this piece of scripture? What are you saying to me? And then as he begins to show you, then that's just what you begin to pray back. It's very simple. And the, 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 that passage in Isaiah says, as the rain and snow falls to the ground and do not return to it without watering it, so too is my word. It accomplishes that which I send it to do. And so as we pray God's word back, it accomplishes in the heavenlies what it is intended to do, and it's worked out here on earth. So let God speak to you. Sometimes we, we want to... We, we want God to give us the answer, and that's what we're praying for. But if we stop ourselves... And just listen. Let God speak to us. He'll give us the answer, and then we begin to pray with the answer instead of praying for the answer. So it's just learning how to walk in the Spirit as we pray. And that's also where the, the gift of tongues is such a precious gift as we pray in tongues that we, we hear the mind of God. So that's the first thing, pray in the Spirit. And then pray at all times. That's what Paul says, pray at all times. Now, how many of you have read that and you go, how? Oh, how is that possible to pray at all times? But I think that it's almost like prayer needs to become the first resource of our daily lives. Um, it's, it's as if we are so conscious of God being near to us all the time that he's, it's like he's always there and we're always just referencing and talking to him and he's just there. So it's not like we every, every now and then we're kneeling down and doing some prostrate I'm not talking about it's that, it's that sense of knowing him and interacting with him all the time. And I remember a bit of a funny story as a teenager when I was at 
school and praying and talking to God. And, and I remember the headmaster came up to me, and I, I think I'd been praying, and he, and he called my name, and I said, Sorry, Lord. <laughs> and then he looked at me. He was rather built up that morning, calling him Lord. But there's, uh, I suppose there's a sense in which God wants us to be those that are so just talking to him intuitively in our daily activities. And we can talk to him about anything as simplistic as I have a very bad memory and I'll go into a room and I'll say, what on earth did I come in here for? Please help me, Lord. And then he brings it to mind. It works every time. But, I mean, I mean, that sounds very simple. But there's nothing that's too trivial to talk to God about. And there's nothing too big that he can't carry for us. And he wants us to get into that habit. It's cultivating a habit. So I, I just think maybe even you can start today. That's not a habit in your life. You say, God, I'm going to make it a habit. But the first thing I turn to when I'm anxious is you. And not, do I need to go and shop to ease my knees? Or do I need to go watch some TV? Or not that none of those things are wrong. But when they become our comfort, when they, those are the things that become our resource. The Lord is saying, let me be your resource. Talk to me. I'm near. I'm right here. And then the third thing that Paul says is that there are different types of prayer. And in that verse he mentions prayer, supplication, and petition. So prayer, I suppose, is the general term for what we understand by worshiping and talking to God and listening to him, something of what I've been describing. Um, And then supplication, I think, is almost that place where we cast ourselves upon the mercy of God. We just throw ourselves upon him. Have you ever had those times when you say, oh God, I need you right now. And and sometimes I know I've been so desperate, all I can pray is like, help, help. You just have hardly any words to say. And I think that's when the groaning of God kicks in. He's groaning and interceding on our behalf. For me, it's a bit like the prayer of Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was pleading with God and saying, God, if it's possible, won't you take this cup of suffering, knowing what was coming? And he, he implores God, he prays to God for this. And the thing that God gives him in response is he gives him the grace and strength to face the crucifixion. So there God not, didn't take away that thing, but he, gave, he found grace in that place of prayer. And sometimes you and I know there's some things we just have to walk through. God is not going to lift these things. We have to get through them. And he in his wisdom knows why. But when we come in that place of supplication and we implore God, we say, God, help me. He gives grace. He gives strength. He gives us, he girds up our loins so that we can cope in what he has for us. And then the third thing is petition. And uh, that's when we present our requests to God and we come. And as I was saying earlier, there's nothing that you cannot speak to your heavenly father about. There is absolutely nothing. And you know what? Sometimes you even know what you're asking is wrong. You can still ask because he just wants to hear you ask, and he'll tell you if it's, if it's not the right thing. Um, uh, I think um, God is just so faithful, and maybe I'm sure you all know this verse so well, Matthew 7, verse 7, how Jesus taught us to pray. It says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Up your hand. <laughs> Any parents here? Hungry child say, go, go get, eat some mud in the garden. <laughs> or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Oh, Daddy, can I have a pet dog? Well, here's a scorpion. Play with. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And I think the little key there is to those who ask. Sometimes there's things God wants to give, but it's something he wants us to ask for. And it's not like he's trying to be mean. He just really wants to teach us, just ask me, just ask me. What is it that you have on your heart this morning that you want to ask God for? And you're saying, please God, we can ask him. And you know, I'm sure you all know, Philippians 4, verse 6, it says, rejoice And again, I say rejoice, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near at hand. And then he says, do not be anxious about anything, but present your request to God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in the knowledge and love of Christ. Do not be anxious about anything. We can present our petitions to God. And what is this miraculous transaction that happens? We give him all our petitions, and what do we get in return? Incredible peace. Peace that guards our thinking and our emotions, and we're able to walk in just this effortlessness in him. And that's where I was thinking as I was preparing this, when, when Jesus lived a perfect life. I know he was sinless, but he was also worry-free. He wasn't anxious. And I want to say how much of our pain, which is interesting about that other verse, that that's where the devil can get us, how much of our pain of our lives is is because of anxiety, is about the thoughts that go on in our mind. And we've worked out the whole problem and predicted how it's going to work out, and then we try and live it out. God's saying, just stop. Just stop. Give me your anxieties and let my peace be the thing that guards your mind. And Jesus was perfect in that. He was a God of peace, a man of peace. And it says, present it with thanksgiving. And I think that's the most wonderful statement of faith. We already thank in anticipation. That's, that's saying, Lord, I thank you that you've heard my prayer, and I thank you for what you're going to do through these prayers that I'm praying. And then the fourth, I've just got two more things. The fourth thing that Paul says about prayer is he says that prayer requires perseverance and watchfulness. Because I'm looking out here and I'm thinking there's some of you who have asked God and you still haven't got the answer that you asked for. (laughs) And Paul knows that. And so he says prayer requires perseverance and watchfulness. Don't give up. And even Jesus knew about this thing because he tells that parable of that woman who goes to the judge and asks for bread and she nags and nags and nags and says please give me some bread to her neighbor and she just goes on and on and eventually goes okay woman I'll give it to you because you're nagging and going on and on here we are here's the bread and uh, I know that God doesn't hold out on us and isn't mean like that but I think that's 
God is fashioning something in us through the power of perseverance that he cannot do any other way. But there's something that he forms into our very being, and it's part of us becoming like Jesus, persevering. And so sometimes God does delay. The delays of God are part of our spiritual journey. I don't understand them, and when you're going through them, you don't like them, but they're part of what God uses in our lives, the delays of God. Because sometimes when we pray, we get a green light from God, go. Sometimes we get a a big red light, no, and your spirit just knows, okay, God, that wasn't a good idea, I went off with that, so no. And then sometimes you get an amber light, an orange light, it just says wait, and those are the worst ones, hey, God just says, no, you wait. (laughs) The timing is not right. And uh, in our wisdom, we would give totally different timings to God. But remember, his spirit is interceding that all things will work out according to his process for our good. The promise that he gives us, it's a sure thing and he is faithful. And I think that when you're waiting and you're waiting for something and you're persevering in prayer, it's very easy to become sluggish and discouraged in that prayer, in that thing that you're holding out for. And that's why he says also be alert and watchful. This is the antidote to this perseverance, that we are alert and watchful, that we're ever attentive to what the Lord is saying and seeing what he's doing and what he's working out and his processes. And I think that two things we can pray for when we're waiting is, is discernment and wisdom. And discernment, I think, is understanding God's process in your life. God, help me to understand what you are doing through this delay, through this waiting place. And then wisdom is that other side, which is knowing practically how we are to live when he shows us what what he wants to do, knowing the practical outworkings. We ask for discernment to understand his process, but then wisdom to know what to do in that process. God is kind. In James, another verse, he asks for wisdom, Don't doubt. He gives generously to all without finding fault. Ask him for wisdom. Say, God, I don't understand. Ask him for wisdom. And then the last thing that Paul says, the key for prayer, he says that we are to pray for the preaching of the gospel. He says, of whom I am an ambassador in chains for the gospel, pray for me. And all throughout Paul's letters, he is so concerned that the true gospel is not diluted by falling back into legalism or trying to water it down with human philosophy and traditions. It's interesting what Chris is saying now, the whole thing that our our young people are facing is this whole thing of philosophy, of finding your own wisdom apart from God, your own meaning to life apart from God. And uh, Paul is concerned that the the early church didn't fall away from the gospel into legalism or human tradition or philosophy. And he's ardent that they pray for him for boldness in proclaiming the truth of the gospel in the face of much intimidation and opposition. And I don't think anything's changed. It is intimidating to preach the gospel of Jesus. It is intimidating because I'll tell you why. The gospel is opposed on every level to humanistic attitudes that look inside man for human progress and answers. Humanism says you'll find the answer in here and you'll be the solution. The gospel is opposed to that. The gospel is opposed to religion that tries to keep God in a neat box with, with 
prescriptions and expectations and compulsions. And the gospel is opposed to finding many ways to God, which our society calls tolerance. Tolerance is a politically correct word, but the gospel says there's one way to God. It's not very politically correct. And we need, first of all, to pray that God will reach each of us in a deeper and deeper revelation of the finished work of Christ, the complete, satisfying work of Christ, that it comes and becomes part of us and part of how we live and what we do. And in, in my devotions this week, I've been reading through the story of Gideon. It's, it's been going on in my mind over and over. And um, just there's so many things you could write of the life of Gideon. The funny thing that I drew out was right at the end of his life, it says that during Gideon's life, there was 40 years of peace for Israel. And then he died and the people went back to their idolatry. Just like hit me, I thought, what was the purpose of all that? Forty years he led these people to love to break down all the temples to Baal and the, and the Asherah poles, and then they go back to their idolatry. And uh, I just thought, you know, leadership is a wonderful thing. Leadership can help facilitate the life of God. But unless people have a personal revelation of the gospel of Jesus, unless who Jesus is is true for you, is, is real to you in your very being, that you can live under that liberty, that you are not condemned before God, unless you can know that you don't need to strive in order to please God, unless that is your personal revelation, you can take away the scaffolding, and then what will you turn back to when the scaffolding is not there? What will you go back to when someone's not preaching a certain message? Will you go back to striving? Will you go back to legalism? Will you go back to whatever? But God is saying, let it become personal revelation, this gospel. And that is what Paul asks us to pray. He says, pray for all the saints. We are to pray that for one another. Pray that you will, and your friends, and your family, and all of us in this church, and the churches in this town, that we will understand the gospel and we'll be fearless to proclaim it. Um, because that is, Paul says, it's the most precious thing that he was prepared to die for. That's how, that's how vehement he was, how precious this thing. It is so easily robbed. It's so easily diluted. It's so easily perverted. Let's not treat it with contempt. Let's pray for one another that the gospel of who Christ is and what he has done will be a deep, deep root in all of our hearts and in us as a community. So that's what I want to share this morning. And I, I just, um, I hope that for you, that you will find that space in your daily life with the Lord, that you can make him your close, closest companion. If you have a, a wrong view of him, that's austere or whatever or aloof, that God would be close to you, that you would speak to him, that you would give him your burdens.